Hello and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. I'm Alex. I'm Julio, and thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Help promote the algorithm and spread the word. You can also find us on SoundCloud to subscribe and review. And don't forget to visit our main website, wearethecontrarians.com. Follow us on Twitter at Contrarian Prime. And to like us on Facebook, visit facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. And if you have the willpower to keep up with our pretentious ramblings, you can follow us individually at Contrarian Alex for myself and at Avnio for Julio. That's O-V-N-I-O. Now, time for the podcast. And we are recording for Contrarian's Corner for After Earth, Chapter 3 of our Shamal Anthology. Hello, and welcome to the Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex, and I am joined, as always, by my cohort and co-host, Julio. Julio, uh, you know, we keep starting these with different tones of optimism and hope based on the global <laughs> happenings that are going on. Um I mean, based on today's news, though, not necessarily on the COVID front, but I mean, it's a, it's a strange time. The cracks are starting to form in your beloved Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's just an unprecedented time <laughs> that we are living in all the way around. You know, I'm not going to I'm not going to bandwagon and pile on. You know, I sent you and Eddie that story about uh, how underperforming Black Widow was doing. And of course, that's. <laughs> There's no relevancy to that considering what's going on in the world right now. But I will point <laughs> and I will say, ha, you're starting to implode with Scarlett Johansson now filing a lawsuit against Disney. Um, I mean, are, are we going to do this, Alex? Are, are we doing this <laughs> this early in the episode? I thought that we were going to save it for after hours, but we can. I, I can crack my knuckles right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's, we were... Uh, you know, when talking for about a half hour beforehand, just catching up, and I made sure not to even go near the subject. So. <laughs> More to come. We'll keep you apprised and up to date on the the trial of the century, Scarlett Johansson versus the MCU, <laughs> which will be someday adapted to screen by M Night Shyamalan and maybe <laughs> maybe Gary Whitta too, since they seem to be such a good team. So that brings us to <laughs> After Earth, all that. As we continue on the Shamal Anthology here, our summer project on the Contrarians, uh, 2013, what, Julio, help me clarify this here. We got screenplay by Gary Wood at M. Night Shyamalan, story by Will Smith. Now, in your experience <laughs> in these things, does that just mean like he came up with the general concept of the movie and then they actually wrote the dialogue and, you know, the... the the fight scenes and action sequences and whatnot, or how, how does this work? Did he just come with like a napkin with like him and his son's name <laughs> written on it that said after earth. And so he had to get a credit for it. Just like a, a, a crude drawing of Jaden Smith holding two swords. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I mean, it's, I, I'm not an expert on, on how credit adjudication works as far mm. as the, how you get credit. I know that the process to determine credit is like if more than one person worked on the screenplay, then it gets submitted to this kind of board and the board reads the different drafts of the screenplay and then they decide, yes, Gary Witta's screenplay 
and M. Night Shyamalan's screenplays are different enough and they both have different elements that survived and made it into the movie. Therefore, they both get a credit. Uh, and I think I mentioned it on our last episode or last time that we talked about After Earth. Maybe not. Maybe it might end up on Patreon. But uh, the fact that they're not ampersanded, you know, that doesn't say Gary yeah. Witta ampersand M. Night Shyamalan means that they were not working as a team. It means that there's a draft that's Gary Witta's draft and there's a draft that's M. Night Shyamalan's draft. And what I would be interested in knowing is how, how like who came first. Like if I had to guess, mm-hmm. I would say that uh, yeah, Will Smith had this idea to create a vehicle for him and his son, and approached Gary Witta. I don't know if they meet, knew each other. Like you know, it'd be interesting to see if there's any Gary Witta screenplays that starred Will Smith. But let's yeah. say he goes to Gary Witta and he's like, "I have this idea, make it happen." And then Witta writes it, and then Shyamalan shows interest in the project, and then Shyamalan comes in and he's like, okay, I'll do it, but let me work on the script, and then Shyamalan does another draft. Uh, or the other way around, where Will Smith approaches M. Night Shyamalan, <laughs> he's like, hey man, I saw the happening, and I saw Last Bender. it sounds like you need a win. So, <laughs> here's this story. Shyamalan writes a script, they take it to the studio, and then I guess the studio is like, okay, but how about we bring Gary Whitta to like spice it up? <laughs> uh, so yeah, Gary Whitta coming into, uh, I, I imagine he would be one that we bring up uh, first because, I mean, the other ones I might shame along, the other ones Will Smith. So he would be the the least noteworthy guy coming into this, but he was coming off the heels of the Book of Eli. Uh, he wrote the screenplay for, and then it looks like he's worked a lot in the video game industry, uh, specifically with the Walking Dead video games. Uh, in 2016, he was one of four people that got a writing credit on Rogue One, a Star Wars story. So there you go. Do you think in that uh, in that writer's room, do you think they called him the After Earth guy? <laughs> yeah. Hey, A.E., what do you think about this? <laughs> You want to call your buddy Will Smith and ask him yeah. what he thinks about this? <laughs> That's like that SNL skit where Jonah Hill's like, oh, let me call my good friend Brad Pitt. And he dials the phone, he puts it on speaker, and it's like, the number you've called is, has been disconnected. <laughs> <laughs> That's him like trying to big time and say, I'm going to call Will Smith. Uh, danger is real. Fear is a choice. As M. Night Shyamalan took us back to the theater and... Uh, May of 2013, looks like May 31st of 2013 was when this movie was released in IMAX. I do remember that being a big part of its marketing was got to see it in IMAX. As this rages on, uh, as we mentioned our Shamal Anthology, we want to thank any and all returning listeners of The Contrarians. If this is your first time joining us, uh, we appreciate you hanging on before we actually get to what it is we do here. Um, Returning listeners, give us a moment here while we go down the rigmarole. Uh, Here on The Contrarians, we like to rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine. Uh, Find a movie on Rotten Tomatoes that is highly rated, uh, a lot of times known as certified fresh, and make a case for maybe why that movie got a little bit overrated and a little bit too big for its own britches and what the critics maybe had wrong about it. Uh, Conversely, we'll find a movie that is uh, lowly rated, one of those nasty green splotches, usually about 30% and below, those nasty green splotches known as Rotten 
what we'll do there is make a case for the positive merit in the film. Some of the things that are good, the things that were overlooked or understated, what the critics maybe willfully or unknowingly didn't give proper credit to. Um, but that comprises the first half of the podcast. Uh, that was Contrarian's Corner, being that After Earth is 11% on Rotten Tomatoes, a nasty green splotch. This first portion here, we will be uh, talking about it as though it was a modern marvel, a modern masterpiece. Julio, if listeners want to know how we really feel about this movie, though, they just have to hang around to the second half of the podcast. That's correct. Once we get to the second half of the podcast, aptly titled Real Talk, that's where we share our true feelings about the movie. We share them with you, the audience, and we share them with each other. I would say about half the time, we don't really know how the other one feels. After Earth, I mean, man, that's a movie that I hadn't really thought about in a while. Alex had never seen it before, so it's not really it's not really something that has come even close to being part of our conversations. So, I don't know, Alex, you've been pretty, like, radio silent. Like, with the last couple of uh, Shyamalan Anthology episodes, I would get at least a text that would give me an entry point into what real talk may be like. <laughs> but here, it's like, man, we started recording, you brought up COVID and the Scarlett Johansson lawsuit, so I don't really know <laughs> what I'm in for. Well... For those who maybe this is your first time listening uh, so far on the Shamal Anthology, it, we kicked it off with discussing the happening on the live stream for The Cure. So that's what kind of brought us to the dance, so to speak. And since then, we've discussed The Last Airbender and Signs. So we've already been all over the place with M. Night. And this was my first time seeing this movie. You can't really be surprised with anything that comes your way with him. You, you just know that it's going to land somewhere and you can't really be surprised where it lands. I'm waiting for the Shyamalan twist in real talk where you tell me that it's that you think it might be better than the sixth sense. Well, well you'll be waiting quite a while for that, my friend. Um, the, that's what they call it. A twist, Alex. <laughs> so how did you watch after earth this evening for uh, this uh, podcast? After earth is thankfully streaming on stars via nice. Amazon prime. So uh, yeah, not even a rental. It was just a free stream through stars. How about you? So your boy watched this on YouTube. It was in HD. The sound was particularly good. And uh, yeah, it was an hour and 40 minutes of me trying to figure out if Will Smith had an accent that was fading in and out or if I was just going insane. So there you go. So Julio, after Earth, coming off the heels of this was after Last Airbender, correct? Yes. Man, okay. it is a miracle that M. Night Shyamalan didn't just give up because he had the happening the last airbender and then after earth i mean forget about quality just i'm talking about critical reception that's three widely panned movies back to back well and don't forget before the happening was lady in the water true but so, i would say that that was they weren't as universally is, reviled as these yeah, three. I, yeah i think that it's a lot easier to find people that defend lady in the water than it is to find people that that will go to bat for uh, these his, his next three movies. But we're going to try. Yeah. <laughs> we certainly well, did our best with the happening in Last Airbender. We'll give it a shot. It's like the Who Shot Mr. Burns where Dr. Hibbert asked Chief Wiggum, can you figure this case out? We'll give it a shot. You know, it's my job. <laughs> so 11% on Rotten Tomatoes, Will Smith, Jaden Smith, produced by Jada Pinkett Smith, if you can believe it. <laughs> <laughs> so again, like you just said, 
like uh, as was the <laughs> as was the style at the time, this did not go over well. What were critics saying about this movie, Julio? All right, so I, I got a bunch of rotten quotes from the Rotten Tomatoes website. We'll start with Brian Gill from Mad About Movies podcast, who says Will Smith and M Night Shyamalan both at the peak of their respective Lost in the Woods career period. After Earth is a complete disaster. Uh, were they both lost in the woods at that time? What was Will Smith coming from when he did After Earth? Hmm. Let's see here. Because to me, not not knowing where we are on Smith's filmography, to me it, it would be that oh no, he was at the peak of his power because he he just willed this into existence. You know, story by Will Smith. He walked up to them and he's like, "My son will star in this." Goddamn. <laughs> Coming into this for his acting performances, it would have been uh, Men in Black 3 the previous year. Then, man, he didn't make a movie from, it was seven pounds, and then he took it off till Men in Black 3, and then After Earth. Okay, Brad Gill, calm down. <laughs> Men in Black 3 is better than Men in Black 2, Well, just to begin. To be fair, in 2008, he made Hancock, and there's really no coming back <laughs> from that at all. <laughs> That's not lost in the woods. That's dead in the woods. That's dead in the water. <laughs> um, all right. Next, Richard Probst from the IndependentCritic.com says, The memory of After Earth is so painful that I still feel like my eyes are burning. You think he watched it in IMAX? Is that what happened? Probably. Too much? Uh, Jennifer Heaton from Alternative Lens says, at least something like Battlefield Earth is unintentionally hilarious. After Earth doesn't even have the dignity to be laughably bad. Bring in the big guns there. Yeah. Battlefield Earth, I mean, that's not a, a title that you throw around lightly. No, as has been evident on this podcast, that we only reserve that for the most <laughs> extreme situations. When we mean business. Uh, and let's close with Felix Vasquez Jr. from Cinema Crazed, who says, It seems proud of its predictability only because we should feel privileged to watch Will Smith and his son act in a second movie together. Damn right we should feel privileged. It's like fucking Hollywood royalty on the screen there. How old was Jane Smith when this was made? Because he was like, uh, I, I've never seen The Pursuit of Happiness, but he was like a, a little kid, little kid in that, right? Yeah. I, I was shocked as I was watching this movie to realize that I've seen a handful of Jaden Smith movies. Because he was in uh, Pursuit of Happiness. He was in the remake of The Day the Earth Stood Still with Keanu Reeves. and uh, No, he was? Yeah. Is that movie's not good. Yeah, it is Jennifer Connelly. He's Jennifer Connelly's son. Uh Karate Kid, and I knew he was in that. In The Karate Kid, and now this one. So that's four. If you had asked me, I would have said one. <laughs> so he was 15, it looks like, when this movie was made. No, he would have been 14 when it was being filmed. So you're kind of over the wave at that point. Like 12 to 15 is like the worst time period in anyone's life. But like, yeah, he was kind of cresting at that point. But he still got, God bless him. His voice cracks in several parts in this movie, and <laughs> brother was working through a lot of things. So <laughs> I'm I'm gonna be as I'm gonna try to be as nice as I can to him because we've talked about a lot in here. Don't blame the kids; it falls more on the director and what have you. So that sets the table. Julio, After Earth, clocking in with a budget of 130 million. It looks like it only had. Uh, a $60 million box office in the United States. Ooh. But 
worldwide went on to have uh, nearly 245 million. So internationally, man, they must love Will Smith and IMAX. So that's the only logic I can come up with. Yeah, as the Wikipedia page says, after Earth was panned by film critics, the film, however, grossed 243.8 million at the box office. So there you go. So one of the last things I want to set the table with before we go ahead and just break this sucker down, and that is in a 2015 interview with Esquire, Will Smith called the film the most painful failure of his career and expressed <laughs> regret at leading his son into production. He also unfavorably compared the experience to Wild Wild West, which also underperformed expectations at the box office. That brings us to where we are, because that's, I mean, Wild Wild West is notorious for being one of the all-time flops. So for him to compare it to that, uh, I think that really sets an interesting tone that we're going to lean into. Um, Now, it's not specifically called out in the movie, I don't think. They say it at any point in time, but based on uh, some research I did, it said the movie's supposed to take place in 3071. So, just a few years down the road. <laughs> well, it's good to know that we still have about a thousand years to catch up to that technology uh, that they show in the movie. Because they're creating wormholes to travel through space. Yeah, Not even light speed, just opening portals. And it, again, it's kind of, uh, with Snowpiercer, it was just like, you're fucked now. With this, it's, yeah, you got a few years to figure your shit out. <laughs> you got a few years to get your affairs in order. Uh, but very similarly, Earth becomes inhabitable. Uh, in the future, on a human-populated planet, Nova Prime, the Skrell alien race, attempts to take it over with creatures called Ursus, Ursas, which hunt by sensing fear. Peacekeeping organization, the Ranger Corps, defeat them with a fear-suppressing technique called ghosting. They just don't return their calls. <laughs> Damn it. I was going <laughs> to make that same joke. Uh, but not before Yersas kill Senshi, the daughter of Ranger's leader, Cypher Rage. Katai, Cypher's son, blames himself for Senshi's death. He trains to become a Ranger like Cypher, but is rejected while applying. Katai's mother, Faya, convinces Cypher to take Katai on his last voyage before retirement. It was two days away from retirement. During flight, however, their spaceship is caught by an asteroid shower, causing them to crash land on Earth, which the humans evacuated a thousand years ago due to an environmental cataclysm. Due to the happening, right? <laughs> that's, that's how I read it. This was sort of a sequel to the happening. Interesting. Interesting. I'm not sure about that, but... Uh, <laughs> Suddenly liking this movie a lot more. <laughs> Out of control, just action and chaos from the very beginning. And it starts, like, the first five or ten minutes have uh, Jaden Smith narration, but that doesn't really keep up. The, um, the voice, the tone of this movie, both metaphorically and literally, kind of shift all over the place. But... I appreciate this movie right away establishing that, yes, Will Smith is in this, but the star of this is going to be Jaden Smith. You know mm-hmm. right away that this is his vehicle, and buckle up. Hit yourself to the, the bumper because it's time to go. It makes sense that this would come after Last Airbender, which was kind of a, a, a the first chapter in the story that never got a second chapter. And here, this movie starts, and he Shyamalan basically tells us the first chapter of the story in like five minutes. 
the whole story about how Earth went to hell and uh, we had to flee Earth and arrive on another planet, but that planet now is being attacked by aliens and those aliens have a special monsters that sense fear, but then Earth developed its own army of protectors that fear no one and therefore they're able to defeat those monsters. And so that's like a whole movie and we get it in like five minutes because Shyamalan mm-hmm. wants to get to the real story. He's learned that for better or for worse, modern audiences don't have the patience to appreciate his usual slow, methodical approach to storytelling. That's what happened with Last Airbender, right? Everybody was like, man, it took you a whole movie to get him to master water, and there's three more elements? Fuck that. <laughs> but here, no. He's like, all right, we're going to get straight to the point. Let's get to Jaden Smith and, and Will Smith button heads. As we uh, mentioned just a moment ago, Earth is gone. It's always, it seems to be fairly reoccurring over the past six months to a year. Uh, And also with just our own mortality being dangled in front of us every day with the situation in our world. Watching these movies where Earth kind of just wipes itself out or it can't sustain. It's like, yeah, this is very plausible. (laughs) It's not, every time we watch a movie like this, it becomes less and less science fiction for me. It's just like, well, let's hear them out. Let's see where where this is going to go. The science fiction element is that somehow humanity is still out there somewhere <laughs> that we make it out of the planet. So these alien monsters uh, somewhere who wrote uh, A Quiet Place, because I think they took note and said, hmm, alien killers that can't see. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> I think it was Jim. I think Krasinski wrote and directed it. Let's see here. Directed it. Screenplay. By John Krasinski, Scott Beck, and Brian Woods. So maybe they were all just like in a group screening of this in the IMAX together. They're like, <laughs> Well, look for the ampersands. <laughs> yeah. So these alien monsters are fucking ruthless. There's some pretty intense violence in this for a PG-13 movie. There's a lot of uh, impaling. And these aliens, like their version of a scarecrow or these big trees where they just impale bodies on him 10 high it's pretty wild and it definitely sets a pretty terrifying idea of what could happen in an alien invasion but naturally you have will smith cool as a cucumber there's even like a literal shot of him just like walking through this field of aliens just sauntering and them not having you know they can't sense him because he has no fear because he he's ghosting him he's not returning their calls or their text messages (laughs) he turned his phone off (laughs) he went silent he left him on red. <laughs> uh, what else would you expect, though, from somebody called Cypher Rage? How awesome yeah. is that name, Alex? Isn't this movie just worth existing just for that name alone? Absolutely. I read it, and then I heard it said out loud, and it was great. Um, I, I like it. There's, you know, Will Smith. This is Will Smith at, you know, he's a superstar by now. It's like you don't put Will Smith in your movie to play a regular guy. You put him in your movie so that he can play a big personality. Uh, And Mm -hmm. in this case, it was crazy because just like, what, a month ago maybe, we uh, we guested on uh, on, uh, the Spit and Polish podcast with our friends Ryan Bartek and we we talked about the movie Soldier, which was about Kurt Russell kind of letting go of his usual charisma, his usual personality to play this soldier that was almost completely unemotional. And uh, I would argue that this is Will Smith's soldier. He he does the same thing to an even more successful degree than Kurt Russell because this is Will Smith minus the charisma, 
but he still manages to emote. He'll throw like a couple of singers every now and then. He's not saying like "Welcome to Earth" or even "Welcome to After Earth," which would have been amazing. <laughs> but he's he he has a couple comments like that are funny. But at the same time, he's the ultimate kind of a dead-eyed professional, right? I guess that's what makes him so successful as a ghost. And so, to me, that was already it's not just a cool name, but also that the the personality that. Will Smith brings to to that part is great, and it wouldn't work if you were just casting uh, a standard action star, mm-hmm. because then you'd be like, oh well, you know, I've seen Steven Seagal do this plenty of times, but to see Will Smith kind of not be the Fresh Prince at all, and not be you know, not be a Will Smith character per se, that's we know him exciting. as just so boisterous and so. Uh, Will Smith loud, getting jiggy with it, Will Smith. And then this, he's like so reserved. It's definitely a very um, a, a risky maneuver, but it, it mm-hmm. makes this movie very memorable in the sense of Will Smith being so toned down. But so intense, too. Like, uh, there's some one of his first exchanges with his son. Uh, Jaden asks him if he can be excused, and Will Smith goes, Denied! <laughs> yes. The very tense dinner scene, because... Damn it, it's still a family drama at the end of the day. Katai uh, is not able to make it into the the Ranger Corps, uh, so there's this really tense dinner scene where he explains to his dad that he didn't get it, and he's obviously kind of pouting about it because he's still a kid after all. I mean, just like you said, it leads to not quite family stone levels of silverware being thrown <laughs> across the table, but it's pretty intense. I, this is as good a time as any to bring this up, Julio. Jaden Smith in this movie, so much is asked of him. And I think, you know, he holds his own. He brings to the table what he can. And it's uh, it's literally this movie hinges on his shoulders. It's on his back, so to speak. So for to be that young with this much responsibility, I think he definitely, he brings the bacon. Well, yeah. And I think that where this movie, this movie had an advantage that other similar endeavors that have usually gotten on our nerves uh, didn't have. Like I, I'm thinking specifically of uh, whenever we've criticized someone like Judd Apatow for bringing his kids into his movies and just kind of mm-hmm. putting a lot on them that maybe they couldn't handle, right? Uh, in this case, there's two levels. There's two stories going on. There's a story of uh, Cypher Rage and his son and Kitai, kind of uh, where the story takes us is to where Kitai is going to have to prove himself you know, mm-hmm. and survive the series of events that happen. But then outside of that, in the making of the movie, we're kind of seeing Jaden Smith being put through this trial <laughs> by his own father, by Will Smith. Like this Will Smith taking Jaden out of the kiddies pool and throwing him with the adults and saying, all right, I'm going to be here, but I'm going to be here as a supporting character. I'm not going to be holding your hand like I did in uh, Pursuit of Happiness. This is mm-hmm. This is really going to be on you. And that story, as exciting as all the stuff with uh, the monsters is and the, the science fiction aspect of it, what's really exciting to me as I was watching it was seeing Jaden Smith, the actor, really putting in the work to live up to his father's expectations, like to Will Smith's expectations. Uh, Katai living up to to Cypher's expectations, that was cool. But Jaden living up to Will Smith's expectations was even cooler. And I was... I was rooting for Jaden, the actor, uh, almost as much, if not more, than I was rooting for uh, Katai, the character. And uh, that was cool. Like, that's that's the movie playing on both levels. And I imagine, because there's such a uh, high-profile family, that I think that, that that aspect of it wasn't lost on most people. I imagine everybody going had that that same experience. Now, whether they reacted to it as positively as, as I did, that's probably 
uh, more debatable, right? I wonder if if that it's actually what turns some people off, just perceiving this as nepotism. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. I wonder if like critics and audiences felt that this was just uh, nepotism from Will Smith, and therefore they turned against the movie instead of seeing it as like this really cool thing. I mean, I don't know, Alex. How do you feel about nepotism? Is it, do you think, as I do, that sometimes it's okay? Yeah, I mean Shane McMahon's awesome. That's the, whenever people bring up nepotism, I'm like Shane McMahon fucking rules. That's my fallback argument. Uh, yeah, I mean it's gonna bite you in the ass, Godfather three style every once in a while. But sometimes it's like Jaden Smith wouldn't get a fair shake anywhere else because he is Will Smith's kid. So the best way to showcase him is Will Smith just saying, "Fuck it, my kid's gonna be the star of this movie." Because, you know, the the burden and responsibility that it comes along. God, I can't even imagine what it's like to be Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie's offspring. Like, just the <laughs> the profound responsibility that comes along with that. And not to play be sexist here. I mean, Jaden's mom is Jada Pinkett Smith, a very talented actress in her own right. So uh, in situations like this, it's what's called for. So that's that's a good call out. You know, it's. It's not all that episode of The Office where Michael's nephew comes to work and it turns out really poorly. <laughs> Nepotism can really pay off sometimes. Yeah, it, it's necessary. I think that it was, uh, as a father, I think it's a, it's a good move because, you know, it builds character for his son. As a professional, it's a good move because Will Smith knows he's not going to be around forever and he needs a worthy successor. And so he just started getting Jaden ready. I mean, you know, pursuit of happiness. He's laying his seeds. He's you know <laughs> yeah. he's making his harvest. He's seeing what the crops are going to grow. Like Jaden, this is not quite your Independence Day, but it's a step <laughs> to getting you there. So they go on this voyage. He takes uh, Jaden along with him, and things end up going wrong. They go into an asteroid field, and the ship basically spins out of control. As we mentioned, they end up crash landing on Earth. Uh, as the ship's going down, though, man, Will Smith takes a hellacious spill. <laughs> Like he, my note just says here, did Will Smith just die? Cause I, I've never seen this before and I don't really know. I hadn't known too much about it going in. So I didn't know if it was like a, a scream type deal where, you know, Drew Barrymore dies in the first 20 minutes of the movie type thing. So, um, when he takes this nasty spill down the ship and then part of the ship, like the hole gets ripped open and people are getting sucked out and eventually the crash landing happens on earth and Will Smith is in bad shape. It, it, both of his legs get broken, right? Yeah, one worse than the other, according to him. Well, he ends it like he has to give himself like MacGyver style surgery, <laughs> and he's bleeding bad. He's bleeding really bad. And during the crash, the one thing that can help them get back home is like this beacon that sends out a signal, you know, like an SOS distress type thing. And it was hurled from the wreckage and is shit. Doesn't is it like? A mile away or something. It's it's. Oh, he said uh, it in kilometers, right? Yeah, yeah that's right. It, it's it's not uh, walking to the end of your driveway. He he's got to <laughs> he's got to go on a jaunt here across the the terrain, and he tells his son, he's like, "Do you know where we are? We're on Earth." <laughs> and so they need the beacon, or he tells them straight up, "We're gonna die." During the crash, they had one of those USASs, Ursasses, Urs, Ursus. They had one of the Ursi. They had one of the uh, a quiet place monsters on board, and it was thrown. They don't know where it is. There's the three options where Will Smith's like it's either dead, uh, it's injured and in a retreat, or it survived and it is 
loose and on the hunt. I wonder which one it's going to turn out to be. But <laughs> from here, Cypher tells Katai, he's like, you're going to have to go out and get this. But they have like their little bodysuit gimmicks where there's like a camera on the front, a camera on the back. He's like, I will be your eyes and ears and I will guide you through this. And this becomes like a Metal Gear Solid type thing where Otacon, in this case, is Will Smith. And the the first part of this here, when he wanders out of the ship, it, it plays out like a tutorial from a video game. Yep. Where he's like telling him, you know, do this, do that. And it's almost like an immersive experience for a viewer because you're learning these things along with Katai. It's, um, it's unique. It also, it kind of highlights just how badly they dropped the ball in most video game adaptations. Uh, you know, the, the, the narrative, and I know it's changed a little bit, but not enough, in my opinion, to where people just say, well, it's impossible to make a good video game movie or, or to make a good video game movie that would be faithful to the experience of playing the game. And it was like, okay, well, After Earth did it, and there isn't even a game that it was based on. But you're right. I mean, the, from the moment that they crash, it really feels like like a video game, but you don't feel left out. It, like, Will Smith even, like, shows him a map, like, the map of where he's going to travel and, and mm-hmm. points out the stages, you know? Like, and this one looks like a waterfall, and here you're going to have to fly. And... uh they check his check his inventory. You know he has like four little things that he has to take every twenty four hours so he can breathe on Earth's now toxic atmosphere. And he has a weapon that has like twenty two combinations or something. It's it's like a video game, but but you never you know because the the argument is like well you can't adapt a video game to follow the video game structure because that's not a movie. Well, Exhibit A, I point you to After Earth. They did it and it was great. So maybe you just need the right talent behind the camera. <laughs> Got to have the right cards to play. They're exactly right. He has to ration out his supplies and got to keep count of what you got. Um, Intermittently here, flashbacks to uh, Senshi, his daughter, being killed by one of the monsters. We see basically just she was cornered and killed. She couldn't channel the ghosting. She obviously was very scared, and it's what took her. Uh, It says here that she was played by Zoe Kravitz. Do you know her from anything? Uh, X-Men First Class. I don't remember her in X-Men First Class. And she I, has the wings. Oh, okay. Uh, because yeah. I, I was going to ask you if you remember her from uh, our favorite movie that is just okay, Fury Road, which I guess she was one of the, one of uh, I guess, the, the brides of the bad guy. Oh, cool. <laughs> Not going to get me to rewatch that movie. but <laughs> uh, She made more of an impression in this one. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, very, very beautiful, but um, very commanding presence. And it's just, it is your typical flashbacks that you see in movies, and when it's a character that longs for, uh, you know, someone who's passed, because it's all just very positive memories, birthdays, things like that. Um, but we do see bit by bit, and eventually in full, the full how it played out, how she was killed, and it seems like both. Katai and Cypher blame themselves for it, so it's kind of like this thing that's tormenting him and something they're having a really, really hard time letting go of. Yeah, Cypher blames himself for not being there, and Katai blames himself for not for being there and not intervening, even though to all of us it's pretty clear that he wouldn't have been able to do anything about it. <laughs> yeah, it's it was it's like a fucking monster came and ate her. It's uh, not going to be too much you can do. Sorry, Julio, if we're in that same situation, I can't guarantee that I'm going to be able to save you. It's just the way the cookie crumbles. I, I wouldn't. I probably would have been too 
in shock to notice what you're doing or what you're not doing. I'll be like, holy shit, it's one of the Ursus from After Earth. <laughs> the last thing you see is me just like sprinting in the opposite direction. <laughs> like that motherfucker. Uh, I, I as really, much as I can sprint. The, <laughs> uh, the, the biggest uh, reason to maybe buy the After Earth Blu-ray is so that I can check the deleted scenes in th- that final flashback where uh, Zoe Kravitz is dying and the monster has left. And so Katai crawls over to her to talk to her before she dies. And she just goes, tell Meryl to swing away. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't you get the, the sign vibes with these flashbacks? I mean, these have to have been Shyamalan's contribution to the screenplay. Mm-hmm. There's that whole gimmick of slowly revealing how a, a character died. And how it affected the protagonist. I mean, I, it's fine. It worked in science. It worked in this movie. I definitely... It gave me an emotional anchor to understand why why Jaden, why Katai, who's a pretty capable ranger. Okay, so he didn't make ranger, but he seems a pretty resourceful kid. But then every time that the Ursa is brought up, he freezes. He starts shaking and panicking. Well, I get it because I've seen what happened to his sister and he witnessed it firsthand. You know, it's kind of stepping outside the Shamal anthology, but going to something that's been recent in our history and familiar is we get another primate attack here uh, on yes. our Ad Astra <laughs> episode that I had plugged a little bit earlier. We get the really out of nowhere primate attack, and it looks like animals rule the world. They rule Earth now. It is their kingdom, and Jaden wanders a bit too far down the beaten path and is confronted by a whole horde a swath of angry looks like potentially rabid chimps <laughs> and he ends up he runs and jumps in the water to avoid them correct yeah they throw something at him and uh my first thought is like are they throwing feces at him <laughs> but but no because then it kind of bounces off so it's that was a missed opportunity for him Shyamalan, or an incredible show of restraint because unlike signs the comedy is a lot more uh subdued here very controlled how did you like that line that one of my favorite lines in the movie where uh Jaden has this suit that i guess responds to the environment and mm-hmm. so when he's in danger the suit senses it before he does and so the suit turns black before the the apes attack and he goes dad my suit just turned black i think it's cool but i don't know why <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> yeah <laughs> good stuff good writing uh, once he wanders away from the the primates, he ends up he gets bitten or stung by like a leech or it. Obviously, this is in the future, so there's some things in here we're not accustomed to. But it looks like a nasty bug of some sort, like burrowed into the top of his hand. Uh, it's a parasite, is what it is, because it stings him. His whole body starts swelling up like fucking elephant man, and he has to g- give himself. Um, almost like an adrenaline needle to the heart. It's a anti-venom shot. Sadly, Will Smith does not yell, <laughs> just get the shot, and doesn't yell about a felt pen. But he tells him he has to flop on the ground to make sure it like jabs all the way into his chest. It's pretty intense. I'm choosing to believe that the way that Jaden Smith was puffing up was a very deliberate uh, reference to Will Smith's similar incident in Hitch. But you've seen. I've Hitch. still never seen Hitch. No. Oh well, I'll ruin a joke for you, Alex. There's a moment where he goes on a date oh, with no. Eva, Eva Mendes, and uh, he eats something that he's allergic to, and he didn't know. 
And so I think this might be on the trailer where the shot is her. You, you just see her react horrified. And then Will Smith goes like, what? And then you get the shot of him. And he's he looks just like Jaden Smith looks before he he puts the antidote, uh, the anti-venom in his heart. He is just swelling up, which I think that was nice. That was nice of M. Night Shyamalan kind of like paying tribute to Will Smith's previous uh, entries in his filmography. Yeah, I mean, just kind of a callback for the, the, the real fans, the true fans. Those of you who came to the party for Will Smith. I think you may have misunderstood what I do exactly. Jaden eventually recovers here. Uh, Katai, he's paralyzed for a short period of time due to the, the agent that was injected into him. But once he recovers, uh, he wakes up and this is, you know, Cypher's in really bad shape. He's starting to... Um, He's, he's getting on the gimmicks some. He's found some painkillers, and he's taking these <laughs> shots, and he just looks more and more pitiful every time we cut back to him. But he's still trying to power through, and this is, you know, not in the his moment of most despair, but he's definitely realizing, you know, this, this could not work out well in the end. And this is where we get his Oscar clip where he talks about getting, like, stabbed by one of the monsters and thinking he was going to die and kind of realizing what it's all about type thing and looking at the sun or something. It's some really dark speech kind of out of nowhere, given the context of this uh, this scene. So Will Smith just... For your consideration. <laughs> yeah, thank you. He's known so much for his, his verbose... Uh, delivery and comedy and sometimes even physical comedy and even in you know his uh, his award caliber films like Ali he's still playing someone who was very loquacious and uh, larger than life in Muhammad Ali here it's just such a dark monologue about dying and like realizing your mortality and you know it's not the worst thing in the world if you die type thing it's very haunting but also very powerful yeah, basically, it's a setup for eventually for Jaden to to learn how to ghost on his own, because uh, yeah, Cipher is explaining how did he finally ghost, and that was when he. It's not a titular line; it's a tagline line because he says mm-hmm. the tagline of the movie. He he tells that's when he tells Jaden uh, that danger is real, but fear is a choice. And when he realized that, then he stopped being afraid, and then he became you know he learned how to ghost, and so. Yeah, it's it's great. It's also awesome because at th- by now they're both keeping secrets from each other. Because Will Smith is not letting on how bad he has it in the ship. You know, he hasn't yeah. told. He has a computer that tells him like how fucked up he is, and basically that he needs to get help soon or he's going to die. And Jaden hasn't told Will Smith that when he was running away from the monkeys, uh, two of his four vials of uh, you know oxygen that he had broke. Mm-hmm. So now he doesn't really have enough to complete the mission. So I thought that was awesome that they have this really intimate moment where you know he's sharing that story, but they're also pretending that they're doing much better than they really are. Yeah, it's it's a definitive like male tough guy type thing too. These defense <laughs> yes. mechanisms that they put up and you know the the excuses they're trying to make. And he he eventually makes Jaden show him like what happened is inhalers, and he's like, "I can make it, sir. I can make it." <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now this is his his Oscar clip. Correct. Jayden's. We segue directly from one Oscar scene to another. This is where he uh, basically tells his dad, you know, you think I'm weak and you think I can't do this, but I can. And, you know, he's he's pretty emotional while saying all this. Um, 
but you know, you got to give him credit. Like I said, there's a lot on his shoulders here, and he's clearly in front of a green screen, so God knows what he was actually like told to act at. <laughs> M Night Shyamalan just was eating, you know, some mahi mahi, and he's like, "When I hold up my fork, you know, stare at this and act at this." Will Smith wasn't even on set. Yeah, he was in his camper playing fucking, <laughs> I don't know, 2013, so PlayStation 3 or something, I don't know. I detected graviton vibrations in the hull. As we mentioned already, this is where we get the full exposition and the full uh, scene of the daughter, Senshi, being killed. It melds their two stances together and also, I think, gives them a common reason to keep going, to kind of live the way that they would have wanted her to and keep going on for her. It is definitely the motivating factor for them. But it's also a, a kind of like a key departure from what you would expect in this at this specific moment in this type of movie because Jaden doesn't go the whole like, I hate you route, which, you know, that's usually how this argument between a teenager and the dad ends, you know, with Jaden going like, I hate you, fuck you, and then, you know, taking off. At the same time, Will Smith doesn't, absolve him from anything when Jaden is yelling at him telling him like uh, what should I have done do you think it's my fault and whatever Will Smith doesn't say no it's not your fault he says what what do you think do you think it's your fault <laughs> which is I mean it's very it's a pretty brutal thing for for his father to say for 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 Jaden's father to say it's it so I like that they this big fight it didn't really resolve it in the sense that oh well from here on we bury the hatchet and we keep moving. Like they move forward, but they move forward with, still with all that baggage. Uh, in fact, I mean, Jaden ends up disobeying a direct order from his superior <laughs> because he just jumps off that cliff. Even though Will Smith was asking him to come back, was ordering him to come back to abort the mission. Uh, how did you like the this sequence of Jaden flying and uh, being pursued by the giant eagle, by the symbol that, of America? <laughs> the Avatar scene. Yes. Flying near the waterfall and yeah, I mean it was very comparable to Avatar and it was a, a visual treat just watching this all play out. Uh, it ends up that yeah, this giant bird that was hunting and we end back up in their nest. Uh, I guess it's the mama bird, and there's like <laughs> these I guess evolved what lions or tigers will look like in the future type thing. These creatures coming in and hunting the birds. And hey, I didn't like this, man. There was no forewarning. All these baby birds die. And like the mom tries to like bring them back to life. And it's really fucking sad. Really pissed me off. Cause yeah. like, I, I was not expecting this. I just wanted him. I wanted Jaden Smith to figure out how to get on its back and ride it. Like that's all <laughs> I was hoping would come from the scene. But instead you get animals dying, which is something that we've talked about recently. I do not care for. I'll give this to Shyamalan. At least he has moved forward in because you know we we were talking just in the science episode that he kills two dogs in that movie for no reason. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mm-hmm. there, there's no follow up. But then uh, in this one, the tragedy of that bird losing its offspring pays off because so these tigers, Jaden ends up fighting them off, and uh, yeah, he doesn't really get to save any of the little chicks, but. Even though we don't know at the time, it looks like the the this giant bird, the eagle, noticed that Jaden tried at least, and then later on in the movie, the bird saves his life. So, so there's a reason. I think that he could have made the same point without killing the birds, <laughs> but but I guess maybe this was a Gary Witta's contribution, and he was like, "Hey, how about we kill the birds? <laughs> that that will make it more exciting." 
Actually, no. Based on the history, maybe Shyamalan was like, hey, let's kill the birds. And Gary Widow was like, okay, well, if we have to kill the birds, at least let's let's give them a purpose. And they do. This bird comes back into the fray not too long down the road here. Um, in this whole fracas, communication is severed. His little Buzz Lightyear gimmick on his arm with his radio gets ripped off. Uh, all of his resources are gone. He is literally up a creek without a paddle here because he gets on like a little piece of wood and just falls asleep going down this creek. And this is where we get like his dream where he speaks to his sister one last time. And like, you know, the, you got to forgive yourself type thing. When he does come to Earth is so fucked in the future that at like random points in time, it'll just freeze over like instantly. So... He tries to find a, some shelter, like a hot spot or something, to protect himself from this weather, and he's not able to. And this is where the bird comes back in, and basically to thank him for trying to help, this massive bird sacrifices itself to protect Katai and help him survive. You know this freezing. I thought it was going to be again like a thing where they become friends, but the bird just dies like right away. <laughs> like it literally just sacrifices its life uh, after saving him. Gary Witta is like, okay, and then the bird saves him. And Shyamalan is like, okay, but then the bird dies. Okay, <laughs> compromise. <laughs> so while this is happening, though, because we're cut off from Will Smith, we get very little Will Smith in this sequence. Like, we see a, one moment where he realizes that there's nothing else he can do. He's lost communication. So he records a message for his wife saying, uh, honey, I lost the kid. End recording. <laughs> That's it. But this is where the movie really does it, that you've had about a third of the movie where it was kind of a, a two-hander, Will Smith and Jaden Smith side by side communicating. But then once the, on his when his equipment is broken, it's mostly Jaden Smith, and we're focused on him. He's the one carrying the movie. Mm -hmm. The experiment is happening before our eyes. It's like Will Smith letting his son go and telling him, all right, sink or swim. And, and he swims. He makes it to the other side. He does. He finds the ship. He finds the the more inhalers, so he's able to you know regenerate his health. He finds the beacon that they need, but he also finds that the Ursus, Ursas, Uras, whatever the the monster <laughs> is on the loose. And we see also because there's some of the crew members that have been strewn up on trees and shit. So this thing is out and it's hunting for blood, and eventually, quickly. He comes across him. The key thing here, though, is that the beacon and I guess everything else in that ship, they're using AT&T for their communications because he doesn't get signal right away. So he can't shoot the beacon from where they are. And he can't even communicate, even though he replaces his wrist communicator. It's mm -hmm. only so that Will Smith can see him and can hear him. But Jaden can't. So Jaden doesn't know that his father is watching him again. And so now we have Will Smith kind of like in horror watching as his son is being hunted by this by by this creature just like his sister was way back then yeah they, like and he's in rough shape like it looks like he can barely even move like he looks drunk but also just like on death's door his eyes are super red and swollen he's he's having a hard time and you know that's obviously compounded by the fact that he's possibly watching his son die uh or about to so the monster and Katai get into the big rumble and he event he at first is like out quicking it and outsmarting it and getting away that way. Uh, but eventually they get to like a level playing field, like this plateau and he just gets fucked up. Like he gets thrown <laughs> into a rock and then 
he even like semi hulks him like Hulk and Loki in the first Avengers movie. He like picks him <laughs> up and slams him onto the ground and he's bleeding and in rough shape. And then he's starting to like the words of his dad uh, are repeating through his head about how to like calm himself. And he starts ghosting. He does it. He's a ghoster. And the, the monster like walks right over him and doesn't even sense him. And then he's able to get up and start just piecing this fucker apart with his sword and eventually brutally kills this thing. Um, before sounding the beacon and getting the help that they need. The whole time, the Ursa is just looking at its phone, going like, but why wouldn't he text back? <laughs> so they're rescued. They get um, Cypher and immediately start doing the work they need to on him. Cypher, you know, is being worked on and uh, is still in fucking bad shape. It's going to be a while for him to recover. But he insists on getting up to salute his son to, like, let him know you're one of us now. You you know, you're a true ranger. You, you've made it. Uh, very emotional. He gets up and he's, he's and it has to be, like, fucking propped up. But he still is able to salute him and let him know, I, I love you, son. Jaden's having none of that, though. Jaden just runs and hugs him. And then this movie, Alex. Just at least breaking by, protocol. Yeah. By my count, this movie has maybe three big like funny moments that are you mm-hmm. know moments that are meant to be funny and, and all three of them land like gangbusters like that you know i mentioned that the line that he had about his suit going black and then there's this moment here at the end when uh he hugs him and he says dad i think i want to work with mom <laughs> <laughs> and, and will smith he, he he quips back he's like me too uh and then there's a moment earlier in the movie when they're about to hit the ship's about to hit that meteor shower and uh will smith is telling the pilots i think this is going to happen and the, the guys one of the pilots goes like well sir how often are you wrong and then will smith he doesn't even smile but he says my wife would give a very interesting answer to that question mm-hmm. it was like it's such a deadpan joke and it works because it's will smith saying it but overall i would say this is probably the least amount of comedy i've seen in an m Night Shyamalan movie uh, and it works so that's good and then that's it, right? That's what takes us home. Yeah, you. I think we we just pull back to see the planet, maybe. And I, I think that that's honestly the the big subplot with the eagle. As much as we disliked the animal abuse, so to speak, I think it it's meant to show us that if the eagle can create a bond with this kid, if if the eagle can you know forgive this kid for its trespasses, maybe planet Earth can eventually forgive humanity and and welcome humans again because the big line that will smith has when they first arrive when they first crash land on earth he goes this is a planet that has evolved to kill humans it as you know as a way to protect yeah. itself which again goes back to it this being sort of a, a a sequel if not direct maybe a spiritual sequel to the happening the happening is about the planet starting to defend itself and here in a way we see what happens when that that is taken to the finish line. The planet became so hostile towards humans that humans had to flee the planet. But maybe there's hope, you know? The eagle chose to save Jaden instead of killing him. So maybe it's possible for humans to come back to Earth and and tame the beast again. I don't know. After Earth 2. Really makes you think, doesn't it? (laughs) Well, that was after Earth. It's remarkably bland is it sci why sci why man i i guess i don't know i'm just <laughs> so absolutely ambivalent towards this movie 
we'll see if the our discussion in the second half leads to me beginning to actively dislike it. So, Julio, are you ready to carry this on over to Real Talk? Let's go to Real Talk. What was I supposed to do? What did you want me to do? She gave me an order. She said, no matter what, don't come out of that box. Was I supposed to just come out and die? What do you think, Cadet? What do you think you should have done? Because really, that is all that matters. What do you think you should have done? And why were you? She called out for you. She called your name. And you weren't there because you're never there. And you think I'm a coward? You're wrong. I'm not a coward. You're the coward. I'm not a coward. Guitar. And we are back. But before we go into real talk, let's do PP. That's our patron pitch. This is where we tell patrons what they can expect in our patron feed and also where we let non-patrons know what they're missing out on. Uh, this month, Alex, we we started, I mentioned it a couple episodes ago, we finally started our quick video reviews uh, perks over on the patron feed. I can tell you they're like the test videos, which are full video reviews right now. They're on the movie Mustang and on the movie Sinister. I did those unprompted. They were just kind of like me trying to figure out the, the format. Uh, but then then we got we started getting the patron part of it. And uh, our friend uh, and patron, Nerdrovert, he told me, okay, well, do uh, the squid and the whale and do striptease. As of this recording, Alex, I haven't had the fortitude to do striptease, <laughs> to watch the movie striptease. <laughs> that sounded weird. Uh, but I did watch the squid and the whale, which is a movie from one of your favorite filmmakers, uh, Noah Baumbach. Ah, uh, uh, Yes. I'm not going to tell you uh, how I felt because that's what the quick video review is for. That is up on our Patreon channel. And I imagine by the time that you guys listen to this episode, the Striptease quick video review will be up as well. I expect them to be two wildly different video reviews. But but that's what makes it so much fun. So in addition to being able to check that stuff out, you'll also get access to uh, all the clips, the audio clips that don't make it into our regular episodes. Uh, You also have access to our pre-recording notes. And of course, access to Contrarians After Hours. That's the the spin-off mini show where we talk to you about other things that we're watching, that we're reading, that we're playing. Alex, what are you bringing to Contreras After Hours this this time around? I had mentioned it last time, and this time we will be discussing uh, Three from Hell, the most recent Rob Zombie movie that it took me multiple goes to finally get through it completely. So I have finished it. I have thoughts on it. I'll be so disappointed if you didn't have thoughts. If you finish and you're like, eh. <laughs> my tumultuous relationship with Rob Zombie parallels my relationship with professional wrestling to where <laughs> it's like an abusive relationship. I just think he's going to change and be better. And I just go back and it's oh so frustrating. So we'll talk about three from hell. That's what I'm bringing on my end. Julio, what do you bring into the table? This this leads into what, what I'm bringing. Our friends from... Uh, 
from the Yum Yum podcast, which I've mentioned before because I've, I've guessed it on their show mm-hmm. once. Uh, it's Ryan from Spit and Polish has this uh, Yum Yum podcast, which is a podcast he does with his wife, Rachel, and where they talk about Star Trek Discovery. Except Star Trek Discovery, uh, you know, it's on hiatus. They finished their third season. The fourth season hasn't come out yet. And Ryan and Rachel have already covered everything everything Star Trek Discovery related that's out. So they've pivoted to Babylon 5, a classic sci-fi show from back in the day. And so I was like, well, what better time to start watching Babylon 5 than now where I can watch it and then listen to Ryan and Rachel talk about it. So I've watched about the first 10 episodes of Babylon 5. It's one of those old TV shows back in the day when uh, each season was like 22, 24 episodes. (laughs) And this show has five seasons, so I probably will be watching it for the rest of 2021. But I I watched the first 10 episodes. I have thoughts. I'll tell you about it. I'll tell you how it compares to Star Trek, specifically Star Trek The Next Generation. It's worth talking about. Uh, And then, because it's been a while since we've talked about a documentary on my end, I also watched the documentary Beyond Clueless. And they're talking about Clueless, the movie. And it's kind Mm. of a, a visual essay on the genre of teenage movies. Uh, which I know is something that you appreciate uh, as much as I do, maybe even mm-hmm. more. So uh, I'll tell you a little bit about that. Beyond Clueless, Babylon 5, and 3 from Hell. That is an after-hour segment that's going to go all over the place. If any of that sounds interesting, then visit patreon.com slash contrarianprime, and you can check out all our tiers and see if there's anything that makes you want to join the Contrarian Supplements. Absolutely. We have uh, $1, $3, $5, and $10 tiers. Take a look, see what you like, see what you want access to. Uh, Yeah, just scrounge up some change. It's only a dollar. Come on. Throw a little change our way. You'll get access to exclusive content. Also be able to add some things into Contrarian's canon. So check it out. Uh, All of our current patrons, love you all. If you guys have any requests or anything further that you'd like to see us add to our patron game, do not be shy. Let us know. Also, our bonus episode every month comes courtesy of one of our patrons. This month, uh, the aforementioned Ryan, uh, he's giving us the movie Hancock. Hancock is going to be our bonus episode for Woof. August. As we were just discussing uh, off mic, how appropriate that we open August with After Earth and we close August with Hancock. Two massively, uh, I don't know, Bad. reviled... <laughs> misunderstood this is uh, this is better than hancock i i haven't seen hancock in a while but i'll tell you this hancock has jason bateman and uh after earth doesn't so there may be something there <laughs> i might be onto something with this yeah anyway hancock you can you can blame slash thank our patrons for that and then patrons will get exclusive access to just this patron-only episode uh, that we have coming up on Natural Selection, which we've been teasing for about a month. Alex actually plugged it a while ago and finally made me watch it, and now I'm ready. Let's talk about that movie. That's happening also in August. Hell yeah. Rachel Harris, back again. So with that in mind, Julio, I think it's time to travel to 3071 and (laughs) try to make some, some sense out of this movie. (laughs) <laughs> Which may be difficult to do. So, Julio, why? Well, I think the why, the why is pretty easy to figure out. Yeah, it's a Will Smith movie. Well, the why and Sci why in this case would be, uh, I mean, we joked about it in Contrarian's Corner, but it's, how could it be anything other than Will Smith wanting to further the career of his son? 
Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, that is pre-judgment. I mean, I'm not going to tell you if that's good or bad, but obviously I wouldn't I wouldn't read it this way if I wasn't familiar with Will Smith's uh, family tree. But then again, like I said, in Corner, who isn't? Or at least yeah. who wasn't back then? So there's no way that you went to watch After Earth and you didn't know that that was Will Smith and that was his son. And I would imagine that some of the marketing at least mentioned that it was that Will Smith was behind it. That I mean, I I I figure most of the people going to watch it they didn't know that this was a, a Will Smith story that they that that's how it originated. But still, you know, it's just kind of weird. You know, Jaden Smith. I don't know that he was a big enough name, even with you know a handful of movies that he had made as a kid to headline this project. But maybe he was because like that quote. Uh, in Contrast Corner mentioned, you know, this was this was a weird time in M. Night Shyamalan's career. To me, at least, and correct me if it doesn't look that way to you, but to me it looks like Will Smith wanted a vehicle for his son mm-hmm. and got a hold of a director that was coming off two really badly received movies, so was probably, you know, would have been receptive to <laughs> to Will Smith's efforts, you know, not gonna argue too much with like, okay, well, I'll cast your son as the main character, and uh, and a studio will be like, sure, why not? It worked so well last time that we put them together, uh, you know, the two Smiths. I mean, not not Shyamalan. So to yeah. me, that's like pretty easy. It's just like it's it's a it's a Jaden Smith vehicle uh, concocted by Will Smith with M Night Shyamalan sort of as a as an assistant. You know, like, was it you that, that kind of remembered that this wasn't even sold as an M. Night Shyamalan movie? Or was that The Last Airbender that wasn't sold as an M. Night Shyamalan movie? Uh, I, I remember both of these coming out and with M. Night. It was, I want to say it was this one. I, I know we talked about that in The Last Airbender. Because, yeah, I didn't really know what it was. It, for neither of these, it wasn't like a big part of it. It wasn't like the guy that brought you the sixth sense. Because he was already trailing at this point. Mm-hmm. And no matter who you are, I don't I don't even know if fucking Bobby De Niro would have top billing over Will Smith. So that's just <laughs> not gonna happen. But do you see like somebody like I mean this this wouldn't have fit, but like Scorsese wouldn't play along. Like let's say, right? Like or or, or Spielberg, I guess. Yeah. Well, Spielberg is such a nice guy. But you know, I can just <laughs> see like a director a director going like, uh, look, I like you and the story's kinda cool, but we're not gonna cast your son. You know, like he's a cute kid, but I need somebody that's like a little more experienced or I need somebody that, you know, can carry the movie. And, you know, we'll get to his his actual performance, I guess, in a little bit. But I just to me, it it seems like a very specific time, like, you know, for them to grab Shyamalan, especially Shyamalan, who I guess, you know, he has a very clear idea of how he wants things. And this feels more like a... a like a side job you know like not really like a very personal story it's just he got he got recruited to to direct this movie and that was more like it i I gotta be honest with you with this i was just like this is bad but um it might have been overhyped because a lot of people have told me this is the worst m night Shyamalan movie and i guess the biggest thing is like you know talk about not really going out of your way to say that M Night was attached. It it does not feel like an M Night Shyamalan movie. Mm-hmm. Kind of similar to Last Airbender. Maybe that's the whole point. At least with like the happening, he had the audacity to be M Night Shyamalan making a bad movie, not just making a bad movie. If that makes any sense at all. <laughs> yes. 
Let's go through the quotes and then we can actually get into it because let's do I, it. All right, so just a handful of uh, fresh quotes from that 11% that liked it. David Nusser from Real Film Reviews says, a step in the right direction for beleaguered filmmaker M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> beleaguered. <laughs> Poor guy. Uh, Jim Schrembery from 3AW says, by any fair measure, After Earth is actually quite a nifty, pacey adventure film, even though it was directed by M. Night Shyamalan, who has not made a good film since his 1999 debut, The Sixth Sense. Whoa. <laughs> wow. That's, that is one of the harshest M. Night Shyamalan takes I've read or heard. Because, I mean, most people would agree, shit, we were singing the praises of science a couple episodes ago. <laughs> and then there's yeah. Unbreakable. It's a great movie. I mean, yeah. John Nickham from Kansas City Star says, Director Shyamalan gets the most out of the Smiths, sometimes simply staying out of their way. He also keeps things moving briskly with a story that shoes exposition in favor of flashback glimpses. He does stay out of their way. That's mm-hmm. you know that's why it doesn't feel like a Shyamalan movie. Uh, and finally, Sean O'Connell from Cinema Blend says it's an admirable YA adventure, a moderately engaging piece of sci-fi storytelling, a return to respectability for Shyamalan, and a welcome departure for an aging Will Smith. An aging Will Smith? How old wow. is Will Smith in this movie? <laughs> it's not like he's some old actor we need to take out to pasture. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Return to respectability for Shyamalan? I mean, I guess. Yeah, Will Smith's only 52 today. <laughs> he was in his 40s. He was done. <laughs> You're not out of here. Anymore. Not to jump to the end, but I think maybe it's it's appropriate to put it at the beginning. You have The Happening, you have Last Airbender, and now you have this. Even if you don't like After Earth, would you say, as a movie, it's a step up from Last Airbender? Yes. Yeah. Okay, I agree. I agree. It's it's not, it's not the mess that Last Airbender is. It's not good in any, any conceivable way. Okay, since we're in real talk... Am I crazy, or was Will Smith like weaving in and out of an accent in this movie? Uh, kind of. I I noticed it more with uh with his wife and with uh Zoe Kravitz, which leads me to believe that maybe he was supposed to also have an accent. <laughs> um, mm. Jaden doesn't even try, right? No. Yeah, I, I'm. I don't know. I'm like really drawing a blank with this. When this was over, it was just so inconsequential. I was just like, yeah, that wasn't good. But you know, when what we're dealing with here is M Night Shyamalan, the king of like bad movies in some aspects and <laughs> i i couldn't even really find interest in this in the the story of his career because like we've talked about obviously the happening and last airbender and the ups and downs that he's been through and this just kind of it seemed to me like a movie that was made to make money and imax and made a killing in the international market it's a will smith movie so there's gonna always be some notoriety that comes with that um i guess that's what i'm trying to say it makes sense how this was made more so than his other stuff and that's part of the interest with m night Shyamalan and the intrigue about either the the quality or the disastrous content is not there with this it's just a bad movie but i can believe everything about it i 
I am curious about Will Smith's thing about how, you know, it's a failure because he made this movie. You think he might have. I wonder if he knew that like halfway through production or if it was like after that. He yeah, I, that. I am curious to see how he feels about his son's performance, uh, because that's a really harsh thing to say about. Well, I, I guess in that quote, you said that he felt bad for putting his son through it. So I guess in his mind, it's just a failure more of the production slash Shyamalan side. But just to kick things off, really, I will tell you this. <laughs> I was I was just saving it. But it's like, I actually had an okay time watching it. Like, I, I'm i actually borderline trying to decide if, if I actually like it. Like, not, I don't think it's a good movie. But uh, once again, like, on the heels of Last Airbender and The Happening, I'm mm-hmm. like, this is watchable. You know, and I think that a lot of it has to do with Will Smith. Even when he's playing this weird character, even with the inconsistent uh, accent, and even with you know playing a character that is so different, it doesn't play to his strengths. Like the, you know, I made the joke about Soldier in Contreras Corner, and it's a little bit like that. You're like, man, that's weird. So this is what it's like when when Will Smith just doesn't make jokes, and yeah. you know, it's just like dead serious. But I was like, I dig it. Like he has such a screen presence that. Mm-hmm. I, I liked it, and to me, and I remember this from the first time I watched it, the movie loses so much twice, right? One is when he gets sidelined because he's injured, and you're like, oh, man. So now he's just going to be like the voice in his head. And then when he loses communication, and it's just Jaden Smith. And I yeah. don't have anything like Jaden Like I think the kid does okay. You know, he he doesn't blow me away in this movie, but... He can carry it, but the problem is that it's not that whether he can carry it or not. The problem is that he's not Will Smith, and you mm-hmm. have Will Smith on screen for the first half of the movie. So when he's not there, it's like, man, that's an uphill battle, you know. And I like the the moments where it seems reality. This might have been me projecting, but you know, the moments where it seems like reality and fiction blended, and you know, his big Oscar clip when the when the voice is cracking and. Uh, and he's just yelling at a father that's not there. In like in my mind, I just I'm like reading it both ways. Like I said, Contreras Corner, right? It's like, was this Jaden Smith just showing a lot of vulnerability? Was he aware of the fact that this movie was not great? <laughs> he's just like, what do you want me to do? <laughs> you think I'm a coward? I'm gonna finish this movie. <laughs> this mission has reached a bought criteria. I take full responsibility. You did your best. You have nothing more to prove. Now return to the ship. What was your mistake? Trusting me? Depending on me thinking that I could do this? I think it's fine, but he's not Will Smith. And and Will Smith disappears from the movie for a while. And then when he comes back, he's barely there. You know, he's almost comatose. So to me, the best thing in the movie is Will Smith. And the worst thing in the movie, in a way, is the lack of Will Smith. So... It's it's really weird. I see what they were going for. You know, you have Will Smith grandfather Jaden Smith into the story and then kind of like let him go. And then, you know, I guess in a in a different timeline, Jaden Smith becomes this huge action adventure superstar in, you know, he's kind of like the next Will Smith or at least the next whatever, the next hot young thing. I I don't know that he made any more movies after this. I mean, I, I I didn't look up his filmography, but I know that I haven't heard of anything. I've heard of him posting weird stuff on Twitter, <laughs> mm-hmm. but I haven't heard of like any any other Jaden Smith vehicles. And that could be that you know he just he grew up and he decided he didn't want to act 
or that can be just that maybe this kind of like burn him out i don't know all this to say that i had an okay time like i had i like will smith uh i thought you know the story was fine it made sense as much as you know it could make sense and i agree that you know it's a step up from where he was, it was from where Shyamalan was you know the happening last airbender and then this is just like a little bit better uh this at least feels like a movie and the big moments the 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 you know the thing with Zoe Kravitz, like they work. I think that I think Zoe Kravitz is really good for as little screen presence as she has. I think that mm-hmm. she's she manages to get you interested. You're invested, so I'm like, okay, I totally buy the horror of this kid watching his sister get mauled by the beast, and then that defining his life from then on. I think that's part of his breakdown. The whole ghosting thing, not so much. You know, his, the big climax when he yeah. finally learns to ghost, I was like, I don't even, why did this happen? You know, and it didn't feel like, uh, like I understood what Will Smith had told him, but I didn't see how that really applied that moment. Okay, so he's dying, like his dad was dying when he yeah, figured Ray it out. Yeah, Ray using the force, it was not. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, I don't get it. I'm like, what made you stop being afraid? You're dying. You should be terrified. <laughs> there's nothing in this kid's like arc so far in the movie that would lead me to believe that this is the thing that makes him forget about being afraid yeah the big thing for me is just that the the movie that they sell you at the beginning when when will smith has that ominous line about what planet earth is like now Mm -hmm. that made me think that it was gonna be a lot more exciting you know being on planet earth he's talking about how the planet has evolved the planet is now a human killing machine. So to me, that creates the expectation of like every step is going to be a challenge in this journey. But no, I mean, Jaden Smith spends a good chunk of his trek just kind of like walking around. It's not like he has to be on his guard at all times. There's a couple of animals that are hostile, but honestly, that's not very different from Earth today. Like if you went walking in the jungle... You probably have to keep an eye out for, for you know, <laughs> the wildlife. So I didn't really get the whole, yeah, okay, the weather is kind of crazy, but I didn't feel like Earth was this massively different uh, planet mm-hmm. from what we have right now. And, and so that's kind of like a, that was deflating, you know, because I thought that that was the whole point, that you're coming back to Earth and it's so different from what we're familiar with. Uh, well, Julio... The original cut was 130 minutes long and included more backstory on the decline of Earth and the formation of Nova Prime. However, the film was vastly re-edited after performing poorly at test screenings, and any actors playing Nova primates were either reduced to extras or cut out entirely. The deleted footage will likely never be seen, as M. Night Shyamalan is satisfied with the theatrical cut. That makes one of us. (laughs) Would you really watch uh, a cut of this movie that's two hours and ten minutes? Fuck no. Um, (laughs) To kind of shed some light onto some of the stuff we had talked about already, uh, Will Smith had wanted to work with M. Night Shyamalan for several years, but was unable to find a suitable project. He personally hired him to direct this. This became the first time in 20 years that Shyamalan accepted a project based on someone else's screenplay Mm. and the first film in Shyamalan's career where he did not appear on screen. So that... Sheds some light on some of the stuff that we were talking about. Okay, so it's definitely Gary Witta's screenplay. And then, mm-hmm. so Will Smith goes to Gary Witta, Witta writes it, and then Will Smith goes to M. Night Shyamalan. He's like, I got this. I'll let you direct it, 
but you cannot give yourself a cameo. <laughs> which segues into this, which is probably the most interesting. Although not credited on the finished film, co-writer slash producer Will Smith was responsible for much of the movie's direction. While M. Night Shyamalan was primarily in charge of the blocking, uh, composition of shots, placement of the camera, and the visual aspects of the film, like the color and design, it was Will Smith who personally coached Jaden Smith in his performance and dictated the development of the story and the on-screen action. After both the story and acting were heavily criticized, Shyamalan decided to take the blame. Fascinating. <laughs> I'd rather take on the critics than take on Will Smith. <laughs> that would kind of um, validate a little bit more of what we talked about in the first portion, that Will Smith thing that said it felt like a failure for him and bringing his son into production. If what I just read is you know, 100% true, that would make sense why he's kind of remorseful about it. If he was the one that was kind of coaching and, you know, giving the direction for his kid and it came across so poorly. Um, yeah. And like we've talked about with this shit before too, man, like that kid who played Unk or Ong, Ang, mm -hmm. that kid was like 12. Uh, Jaden Smith is like 14 here. Probably got made fun of like wherever he goes to school or whatever. So it's, I could see that sucking really bad. So it's it's a slippery slope. It's a it's an interesting thing to discuss, and it it does kind of make me feel bad. And I kind of like hearing Will Smith one take ownership for that, and two you know kind mm -hmm. of understand the the foul that was put here. Look what what I said like trying to put a positive spin on it in the first half. This is. Way too much to put on someone like Jaden Smith, someone who's no offense intended or anything like that, but not proven, had no track record going into this point of being able to carry something like this with the name that he has that comes attached to it. Like Last Airbender, that kid who played Aang, not good, but there's no Will Smith in that movie. There's no mm -hmm. one that's like this neutron star of charisma that is, one, setting you up for failure just by being in the movie, and two that movie was more just about it's like an ensemble cast it really is whereas this is just like the two of them for the whole movie mm -hmm. and even more so just jaden smith for a long portion of it so in my humble opinion there was no way that with the the parts that went into this that this was ever going to work because really when will smith's not on camera you want more will smith and when will smith is on camera you want him to act like will smith and not like this reserved <laughs> mute version of himself sorry to seem really cynical or ni uh, nihilistic but i when this was over i was like well that was always going to fail if that's what they wanted to do that that was never going to work so to be like even to dig into that deeper it, 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 but not to be mean but just to like wonder out loud would it work like, is the problem Will Smith? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, could you give that part, if you were to tell the story, could you give the part of Katai to someone else, a different kid, and that kid would have made it work? Or would going against Will Smith always be a losing proposition? And therefore, the story can't really be told. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, if the character of Katai worked better, then automatically, like, the movie would work better. You know, it wouldn't, yeah. it wouldn't feel like... Like you're just waiting for Will Smith to come back on screen. You're like, fuck yeah, this now this kid's on his own. And like I wouldn't put it all on Jaden Smith. I think that the way that it's written is just so uh so humorless that 
like the brief attempts at humor now that we're on real talk like that line about how his suit is black and he likes it but he doesn't get it it it's so weird it comes in the middle of there hasn't been any quips for like 20 minutes <laughs> and there won't be any quips further later on this kid has not been established as the kind of character that would say that line and it comes on and you're like that's weird like it doesn't it didn't even make me cringe it just made me it just puzzled me and i'm like mm-hmm. was this was he supposed to be funny did i peg the character completely wrong because he seemed like such a such an angry conflicted kid all the way up to the point and then he makes that line i'm like is he making a joke <laughs> <laughs> like you know that's just so weird uh, yeah it's so out of place and so the so I think that the writing doesn't help. You know, if you wrote uh, Katai to be someone that's you know, it's like he can be tortured, he can have all these hangups, but he can also be the kind of character that you don't mind following on his own. And somebody that's you would think that they wanted they would have wanted to make him more different from Will Smith. And so if the Will Smith character is all you know rigid and not charismatic, not making jokes or whatever, then it would make sense that his son would rebel and try to be very different from his father, even though secretly he wants his father's approval. And so that would make him, I don't know, a lot more entertaining to follow. But mm-hmm. instead, he's just kind of this, kind of like bombed and, and I, I don't know, he was not a, a fun character to follow. No. And on top of that, it's like, I mean, that's what I was saying, you know, it's like, can, I, can any other actor pull that off? Is it Jason Smith? That it was a problem that he cast his kid and his kid couldn't like, couldn't pull it off was a problem that he was playing Cypher and therefore would up, you know, overpower any other actor, any other kid actor that came to play or is a problem the script. And I guess, you know, it's a combination maybe of all three, but can you think off the top of your head of a, a young actor that could have done something that could like stand toe to toe against uh, Will Smith and not make you miss Will Smith when Will Smith is not on screen? I, I mean, at this point in time, Abigail Braslin probably. I I don't know. I oh, it's that would have been awesome, dude. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. See, One I don't know. The Culkins, just, just <laughs> the latest from the compound. Just throw Michael Sarah in there. Just give him some like acne. <laughs> if you say like kid actor at that point in time, the mid two thousands to like the early 2010s i'm just always gonna say yeah just put abigail breslin in there which you've never seen maggie have you not yet not yet eternally on the watch list (laughs) that that that's kind of an interesting version of what we're talking about right here because arnold's so good in that when he's not on screen you like want him back but again abigail breslin's like so good at what she does that it's like it works I agree with what you're saying, maybe. Uh, and again, it's not just to pick on Jaden Smith. Maybe there's a situation where this could have worked a little bit better, but um, it just doesn't. And this movie is also a victim of what a good amount of movies from this time period are going to fall victim to. And... Actually, no, this movie's not a victim of anything. That that makes it sound like I feel sorry for it in any way. What a lot of movies from this time period are going to show over as time goes on, this movie looks like shit. And it's because <laughs> it was prepared with the whole idea of 3D in mind, with the 3D presentation. And I can't imagine how this looked good in IMAX. Um, Interstellar, Inception... Yeah, I can tell you how that looks good in IMAX. 
but with this, no idea, man. And some of the green screening is laughably bad because it's that weird. It's shot with that weird lighting that's helped to accent 3D, specifically the part where like Smith and his kid see that guy with one leg, like, and you know they're like on the loading dock from Star Wars, mm-hmm. where um, he wants to stand up and salute him. That's like in the first 20 minutes of the movie, first 10 minutes of the movie. It looks so bad. The lighting, like the lighting on the the actors, does not match the lighting in the backdrop from like what's being projected, because of that whole mishmash of like the 3D to make it pop. There's not too many movies like this from that era that I really go back and watch. So it really stands out. Like this really stood out when I was watching. It I was like, dude, this looks awful. And, and, you know, I mean that in the sense of I could not make a movie that looks this good because no one would give me a hundred million dollars, <laughs> but it has, it does not stand the test of time. And it'll be yeah. interesting to see what other movies of this era fall into that. That really took it, it took me out of it for chunks of time. I almost want to say like, I appreciate, well, one, I just as a, a man, I appreciate him trying to help his kid out and do it. It's in earnest. It's not some movie where, like, you know, his kid invents the cure for cancer or something like that. It's just kind of a very <laughs> by the numbers, rudimentary sci fi movie. It's just bad. It just didn't work, man. It's sometimes these things don't pan out. Uh, it's hilarious to me, just kind of in the brief research and discussion we've had on this, that Sham- this is labeled as like one of Shyamalan's bad movies, when in reality it's just, it seems like it's it has one of the worst reputations with none of the Shyamalan trappings, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not, it can't be one of the worst Shyamalan movies because it's barely a Shyamalan movie. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. He just like he uh, he did not take sunglasses off the entire time he was on set for this. He <laughs> it was one of those like I want to believe he was always like had you know like donut crumbs on or around his mouth and <laughs> never really did anything. Just kind of hey, Will, what's going on? Jaden Smith is just giving it his all, and Shyamalan is on the side writing the script for Split. He's like, oh, cut, yeah, <laughs> next. <laughs> Are are we good? All right. Will, you happy with that? Let's move on. He does that thing at the end when they rap. All right. Great day, everybody. You, you're the real stars. What a twist. I have to say, I really, I mean, obviously, I, I said I like this movie more than you did. But also, I brought up the, the whole thing about, well, Will Smith is making this movie for his son. Because, you know, we're discussing it. We're discussing it. We're talking about the going on on screen, off screen. But watching it, it's not like that weighed on me, which is funny mm-hmm. because uh, a couple of episodes ago, I was talking about how I found it really hard not to be annoyed by Emna Shyamalan's cameos, mm-hmm. uh, which are very like, that has nothing to do with the story. That has nothing to do with the movie. Uh, that is just like very external thing of like me knowing that that's the director of the movie and how he's putting himself in the movie, just rubbing the wrong way here. Yeah. I know that that's Will Smith and that's his son. And I know that th- this was clearly, you know, his project and I don't care. I'm like, fine, whatever, entertain me. And you know, <laughs> the movie did like the problems I have with the movie somehow have nothing to do with how it came to be. To me, that's just kind of like trivia, you know, it's like curiosity. Yeah. It actually makes it more interesting, but 
somehow I don't resent Will Smith or I don't, it's like you were saying, I'm like, that's cool. You know, he could do that for his kid. Why not? But then again, you know, that's just me. And I, I don't know how many people actually turned on the movie because of that, because they were mm-hmm. like, why is, why is Will Smith gaming the system or taking advantage of his status in order to give his kid, uh, you know, a big role, a leading role in a sci-fi epic so I don't know, but I personally it doesn't bother me. I wonder how many people are bothered by it. And I wonder how that number compares to the number of people that are bothered by M. Night Shyamalan's cameos. Uh, well, I mean, if the movie had ruled, then it's like <laughs> that probably would have been a, a moot point or only the, you know, right. pardon the pun, the contrarians would have been the ones that were pissed off about that. It's, uh, I, I mean, to this day, my dad is very defensive of Godfather 3. He always says it's, it's it's fine. It's just not you know. It's not as good as Godfather one or two. And I always say, okay, that that can be true. But what can also be true is that its lasting legacy as a film is how bad Sofia Coppola is in it. Mm-hmm. And obviously, she's okay. She went on to you know do some things in the film industry that worked out in her favor and for the the viewing public. But I mean, I don't think that's off base to say. That's like anyone who knows anything about that movie, that's always one of the first things that comes up. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, I hadn't seen it until I think last year, but I knew all about it. And then it was one of the things where like, wow, the commentary surrounding the movie was actually 100% true. Like that performance (laughs) is really bad. Yeah, and, and that's kind of the case here where I, I think uh, Jaden Smith got nominated for a Golden Raspberry. Yeah, won it. Uh, Will Smith won best or worst, excuse me, supporting actor. That's and they won. Fair. Yeah, and then they won worst screen combo. <laughs> and yeah, sadly, that's, that's just how it goes sometimes. It, it's a cauldron that is just kind of fucked from the start. And that's kind of going to be its legacy is that it's this movie that was an example of nepotism that didn't pay off because the performance was so bad. Now, I'm sure, of course, I'm blanking on it right now. There's got to be cases of nepotism elsewhere in the film industry that it paid off and worked fantastically. And, you know, it's that's just kind of the risk you take with it. And something like that, you know, Godfather 3 or this when you do something that's going to inherently already rub people the wrong way, in this case, I'm Will Smith. I have all this money to make this movie. I'm going to make it starring my son. And then it goes wrong that all that does is just make the people that naysayed from the beginning, like relish in it and just dance in Mm -hmm. it. And so, yeah, yeah, there's no wonder this movie has such a a horrible legacy and uh, lineage. There's got to be examples of nepotism that paid off. Well, you know, knocked up. (laughs) <laughs> well I like knocked up so is Leslie Mann good in that yes she is because she's not she's, out of control yeah no she's really good but also I don't know that that's nepotism because I mean she had a career before after yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. sideways yeah here's a thought like flipping what I asked you earlier keep Jaden Smith and after earth keep the script uh-huh. but instead of Will Smith you get somebody that's less of a star that has less star power to play cypher and so that way is not so much of an uphill battle for for Jaden right because now I'm not saying cast like a nobody or a bad actor but you know somebody that's not Will Smith so you could cast I don't know 
Cuba Gooding Jr. <laughs> I, I guess he he could have used the work at the time. Uh, <laughs> it was like I, I like Cuba, but you know, I don't know that that would be it. The scales might be more evenly balanced in that scenario. I don't know they would make it a better movie, but maybe it would give Jaden Smith more of a chance to to walk away with the movie. Yeah, yeah, I, I, that's what I'm saying. And you have to be someone huge to be able to go. Like Will Smith is Will Smith. He's arguably like a Mount Rushmore level Hollywood star movie. You know, guaranteed box office attraction of my lifetime. So to try to make him the the second is just silly and not going to work, <laughs> unless it's like a very limited part or something like that. But it, it's. I, agree, I get what you're saying, and I totally agree. There could be potentially a way that that would pan out, but I would like to have a conversation with Will Smith about many things, but specifically, <laughs> I if I ever had the opportunity to discuss this movie with him, I would say, how did your vision differ from what we saw in the end? And see if there is much difference in it, or if the failings of this movie really were just from the perspective of the anchor of it. You know what I mean? Right. It's like, there's exactly the movie that he wanted and it just doesn't work. Sorry, man. Sometimes it's just the way the cookie crumbles. <laughs> It'd be awesome if uh, Will Smith was just turned out to be an asshole. And he was like, look, I don't really care. I was just doing <laughs> M. Night Shyamalan a favor. <laughs> I was like, Jaden and I decided we didn't need the money. We didn't need to work. Jaden had already decided that he didn't want to pursue acting. As an adult, but we figure, what the hell? M Night, he seems like a good dude. He needed something after Last Airbender, or he just so like, we did I, him a favor. I ask him a question. I'm like, well, "How did you see this playing out?" He says, "Fuck you! I don't have to tell you anything." <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't even do that. He just uh, unclips his microphone from his shirt. <laughs> yeah, he gets up away. and walks off. <laughs> Be that as it may, that you enjoyed this a bit more than I did. Dude, you t- tell me you laughed at the end where he like stumbles to his feet to salute his son. I was like, fuck off. <laughs> I, yeah, I was mostly thinking this I didn't remember. I didn't remember that he survived. I was really thinking that he didn't make it. Uh, especially because those last shots we see of him, it looks like he's dead. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like his eyes are getting glassy. and So he caught me by surprise that he was still alive. I was more like... I guess reckoning with that and kind of like the disappointment <laughs> that I wasn't going to get to see the, that sad ending. I like that he hugged him because he hugs him at some other point in the movie. Uh, well, yeah, and that end scene is where he actually like shows emotion for the first time in the movie. Right, yeah. But the, the whole salute thing, I mean, I, I guess it had to happen because it was such a big part of the movie that the kid wanted to be a ranger and Will Smith and everybody else had told him that he wasn't ready. So, I mean, sure. Salute him. You're they're already like, you know, they had that other guy salute Will Smith earlier in the movie. Mm-hmm. It's just But I didn't laugh. I was more like, well, it was inevitable. It was like like Thanos. <laughs> it was just inevitable. And on that note, I think it's time to wrap this up. <laughs> Whenever the MCU comes up. Well, we opened with the MCU. So the Shamal anthology rages on on uh, the conclusion, the dramatic conclusion of the Shamal anthology is on deck with the sixth sense. I'm nervous, Julio. It's been <laughs> years, a decade, 
maybe even more since I've revisited this movie. And I've talked a big game about how much I liked this movie. And obviously being a kid of the nineties, it was a big deal. So I'm going to be very interested and hopeful that that holds up, but man, that, that signs viewing that might've disrupted the balance, but you know, we'll, we'll do our retrospective, uh, following the sixth sense. Before well, I, I still haven't heard what your what your score is for After Earth. Yeah, I was about to say before we look to that though, we got to close this out by giving our official reviews. I I can't I I don't consider this a failure. When it was over, I was just like, okay, I doubt I'm going to spend too much time the rest of my life really thinking about this movie or caring, and I don't foresee or know of a situation that would present itself to where I'd watch this movie again. At the same time, I was like. Yeah, that's not good, but it's not it is not what people hyped it up to be. And some of our listeners too. I know the Spit and Polish fellows and there's a couple others that had like, you know, when we said we were doing this like, "Oh god." And so I I thought it was going to be worse than, you know, Last Airbender or The Happening or something, and it, it's not, but it, it's not a good movie. So all that coming together, I'm just going to give it a, in the middle D. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to decide between I don't know if I'm feeling generous and I'm like I'll give it 3 stars because in the end wow. Uh, well, you know what's key about it too? What's that? It was I think it was the last quote that I read where it called it a, a YA movie. And I'm like, yeah, you know, if I was younger, like I think this movie might play better you know, to a younger audience. It's yeah. like just scary enough, but they might find Jaden Smith more relatable, more approachable, you know, if you're like his age. And uh, they're like, who is Will Smith? <laughs> Taking that into consideration, maybe that's that's makes it even less of a failure. It's not that, I mean, I, I barely like it. And, and that is mostly because of Will Smith and some of the things that I mentioned. So it's between two and a half and three. I, I feel like I'm feeling good today. <laughs> I'm going to give it three stars. <laughs> I'm I was generous. Yeah, I mean, you know, I watched it. I, I was, I was interested in what was happening. I was, you know, writing notes and having an okay time. You know, considering the the movie's ambition, that's not good. But removed from everything else, it's just it's a movie and it works. I can't say that about the happening. I can't say that about Last Airbender. You know, but I can say that about After Earth. It's like forget about who made it. Forget about the behind the scenes stuff and forget about my expectations, the world's expectations. It's just a movie that you can give it to like a kid. They'll have a fine time. That's got to count for something just a little bit. So I'm giving it three stars. There you have it. Three down one to go. in the Shamal anthology six cents is on deck next. I was going to ask if we've had Bruce Willis on the show before. And of course we, we did a good day to die hard. <laughs> And Pulp Fiction. And Pulp Fiction. So, really, where else could we go but but The Sixth Sense and his filmography? Returning back to complete the Holy Trinity here. First Haley Joel Osment. Maybe our first... Uh... No, no, no. She was in Little Miss Sunshine. Never mind. Tony Collette. Tony Collette, yeah. New Horizons in some category. So- something <laughs> will be appearing for the first time. First Donnie Wahlberg. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> All right, so that's going to carry us into our perennial plugs. As always, we want to give thanks to the Festive Years who provide us with our opening and closing tracks. 
They kick us off with Last Stand, take us home with Summer of 99. Be sure to head over to thefestiveyears.com for any and all Festive Years needs. Our friend and fellow podcaster Hansworth Geezer is the man behind our logo, behind all the graphics on our webpage, on our Patreon page, on our upcoming merch. Uh, he is also a writer. He has a website, mildemonios.pe, M-I-L-D-M-O-N-I-O-S.pe, uh, where you can check out all his work. Uh, you can also contact him on Twitter at Mildemonios or email him mildemonios at hotmail.com. If you want a logo, if you want comics, if you want to talk to him about his his zombie novels or about his podcasts. He has Nacion Combi and Marginal, one about Peruvian current affairs. Peru has a new president, so I'm sure they're talking about that. And uh, I know. <laughs> and Marginal is about economy, which should also be related to whatever the new president is doing in Peru. Uh, but yeah, Hans is great. Uh, he has a new book. I mentioned it a couple episodes ago that I actually contributed to and uh, as soon as I get a little bit more information from him uh, we'll, we'll start plugging it away thank you Hans for all your support and lastly we thank Ms. Zoe Perez for helping out with our social media game if you haven't already be sure to go to facebook.com slash contrarian prime and give us a like and also if you're on Instagram we are too at contrarian prime Zoe helps create some better looking videos than Julio and I could for those pages some interactive graphics all around sharp looking stuff and we really appreciate the effort that she puts into that for us so Zoe thank you for that and with all of that out of the way that is going to do it for this episode of The Contrarians where we're right and you're wrong and we will catch you next time but even so I'm